Hello and welcome back to the adventures of Lola Badiola. In the last episode, we discovered that there were some dark and powerful forces working against Lola, preventing her from progressing at J-Block. In this episode, we are returning to North Korea. We are going to find out what happened when Park J-Bong met the girl with the almond eyes on their first date. So without any further delay, let's get back to the story. The Adventures of Lola Badiola Chapter 22 The Chaperone Chung Hua Park was sad and lifeless. Its trees were small and weak, stunted by the lack of sunlight and nutrition. The whole of Pyongyang was engulfed in a haze of pollution that colored everything a shade of gray. An elderly couple walked silently past Park. Their clothes were old and discolored. Their faces were wrinkled and blank. They didn't acknowledge him as they went by. Making eye contact with a stranger in the city was a dangerous business. The secret police were everywhere, watching and waiting for any sign of dissent. Nobody was above the law, not even the supreme leader's family and friends. The North Korean government was unable to feed its population through the official state-run distribution system due to economic mismanagement and foreign sanctions. This forced much of the population to work in the black market simply to make ends meet. To avoid prosecution, these workers had no choice but to bribe government officials. Corruption and extortion were therefore widespread within the economy. For many years, Kim Jong-un turned a blind eye to this behavior. His priority, as always, was the military sector. Then one night, without any warning, he arrested and executed a group of his closest economic advisors, including his uncle, a leading government official. The purge sent shockwaves through the country and created fear and paranoia amongst the elite who lived and worked in Pyongyang. As a result, meeting new people, making new friends, especially finding romance, was a slow and tentative process. Dating was permitted, but it was strictly controlled by the family. It was therefore no surprise that the girl with the almond eyes arrived at Chunghua Park with a chaperone. She was an older lady, possibly an aunt, with shiny grey hair tied into an impossibly tight bun. She walked up to Park and stared at him with a blank expression on her face. Shall we? Yes. The two of them strolled along the perimeter of the park, followed at a distance of five metres by the slender young woman. Your name is? asked the old lady. Park J. Bong. Age? Thirty-two. Profession? Computer technician at the Ministry of Information. Grade? D. The middle-aged lady stopped and turned to look at Park with the same blank expression. She repeated the question. Your grade at work is? I am a D-grade worker, madam. Her expression changed, as if she were in deep thought, weighing up the pros and cons of allowing Park into her family's life. Then she nodded her head, turned around, and walked back towards her younger companion. She took the young lady's arm and led her towards Park. This is my niece, she said. She works on the switchboard at the Ministry of Security Affairs. She has completed her selective conscription for the military. She is a good girl. 
You may speak to her for ten minutes. No holding hands. Then the chaperone walked away and sat on a bench about twenty metres from the couple. The young lady looked down at the floor, her thin and fragile body as still as a statue. She was average height for a North Korean woman, which meant she was about as tall as Park. She had beautiful white skin, and her black hair was clean and well-kept. She clearly came from a good family. Her father was possibly a mid-ranking bureaucrat working in the central government. She waited patiently and calmly for her date to speak. But Park was lost for words. He had never been on a date before. He had no clue how to start a conversation with the woman. He felt insecure and inadequate. He suddenly wished that Kim had never put him in this awkward situation. He felt like turning around and running back to the safety of his apartment. For ten minutes they said nothing to each other. The couple simply stood swaying in the wind like two more trees in Chunghua Park. Even the chaperone found this behaviour peculiar. You have two more minutes, she said, in a nasal and authoritative manner. Park swallowed hard. He didn't want another two minutes. He wanted this to be over. It was a humiliation. He shifted uneasily, kicking the dirt beneath his feet. The girl raised her hand to her mouth and gently cleared her throat. Without looking up from the floor, she said in a soft voice, You smell nice. Her voice was calm and melodic, with a resonance that belied her delicate frame. Park had to reply. What would Kim say in this situation? How would he make the girl smile? In the background, the chaperone rose to her feet and started walking towards them. It couldn't end like this. He had to say something. Three simple words popped out of his mouth, directly from his subconscious mind, unfiltered and to the point. You are beautiful. The girl looked up at Park, her almond eyes wide open in shock. She put her hand over her mouth and stifled a laugh. The chaperone appeared from behind her. Okay, let's go. Park watched them walk away, mortified. The two women exchanged some words. And then, just before they disappeared into the evening darkness, the girl with almond eyes turned around and smiled at him. It was a smile of warmth and affection, a smile that suggested she wanted to see him again. And at that moment a fire was lit in Park's heart, a fire that flowed through every artery and vein reaching every cell of his body. It energised and empowered him, it brought colour and light to the world around him. It transformed an ordinary evening at Chunghua Park into New Year's Eve in New York. As he made his way home to the 22nd floor of a tower block in Zone 7 of the Chunghua district of Pyongyang, Park looked into the eyes of every stranger he passed and grinned from ear to ear. So there you go. Park Jae-bong is experiencing love at first sight. What a beautiful sensation that is. Do you remember the last time that it happened to you? Hmm. I'm starting to reminisce. Right. Focus, Sam. Let's get back to business English. So what we're going to do now is we're going to analyze a lot of great expressions and vocabulary related to government and business. 
and we're going to use some examples from North Korea. And then we're going to talk about the concept of corruption. What is the exact definition of corruption? And how does it vary from one country to another? But let's start with the following expression. The secret police were everywhere, watching and waiting for any sign of dissent. The secret police is an agency that engages in hidden operations, normally against a government's political or religious opponents. They can normally be found in authoritarian countries, such as North Korea or the old Soviet Union. Now, what they do is they protect the political power of a dictator or a regime. And they often operate outside the law to repress or weaken any kind of opposition. And they frequently use violence. In North Korea, the country's secret police is known as the Ministry for the Protection of the State. And it's actually the least researched and least well-known public institution in North Korea, as you might expect, considering it's called the secret police. Listen to this related expression again. Nobody was above the law, not even the supreme leader's family and friends. The phrase above the law describes a person who is exempt from following the rules, or at least he or she thinks that they are exempt. You are in a position where you can avoid being bound by the laws that govern ordinary people. Usually a person who is above the law has a very high government position and a lot of power and a lot of influence. Now, in North Korea, as we will find out, nobody is above the law. Nobody is protected or exempt from the rules and decisions of the dictator. Let's look more closely at the political and economic situation in North Korea. The North Korean government was unable to feed its population through the official state-run distribution system due to economic mismanagement and foreign sanctions. This forced much of the population to work in the black market simply to make ends meet. A black market involves the sale of goods and services in an illegal and uncontrolled manner. So black markets typically arise when the government attempts to control prices, where the government is interfering with the natural course of supply and demand. So sometimes the government fixes prices that are too low, and sometimes they fix prices that are too high relative to the natural supply and demand in the market. Now, whenever this occurs, a black market will exist to match the underlying natural demand with its supply. So, for example, when a government imposes price controls on fuel or food so that they are much cheaper than the natural market rate, it is probable that the fuel and the food is in short supply because producers will not want to or cannot afford to produce these goods at these prices. 
So a black market will exist where some individuals are willing to pay more than the fixed rate. And anyone willing to supply them with the fuel or the food at this higher price point forms the supply side of the market. Similarly, when the government imposes a high tax, let's say on cigarettes, artificially inflates the price of this product, it is quite likely that there will be a black market in which cigarettes are traded at much lower prices without any taxation. In North Korea, both types of black market exist, where people are willing to pay higher than the controlled rate for fuel and food, and lower than the controlled rate for something like cigarettes. They are also willing to offer their labor in the black market, doing unofficial jobs and being paid and probably exploited in an unofficial way. Let's listen to these sentences again. To avoid prosecution, these workers had no choice but to bribe government officials. Corruption and extortion were therefore widespread within the economy. So what is your definition of corruption? What does it mean to you? Well, the kind of dictionary definition of corruption is the abuse of entrusted power for private gain. So the classic example would be a politician that we vote into power to represent us, the population. And instead of doing that, they use their position of power and influence to enrich themselves at our expense. So corruption can take many different forms and it includes many different behaviours. For example, public servants, public employees, demanding or taking money or favours in exchange for services or contracts. That is a bribe. So a bribe is a secret payment to a public official from an individual so that that individual benefits. I'm going to put some cash into a brown paper bag. I'm going to give that to a local politician and then they are going to allow me to develop on what is previously environmentally protected land. I am bribing the politician for personal gain. And that is a classic example of corruption. Another behavior is something known as nepotism. So this is the appointment of family members into positions of power and influence within the local or national government or even within the civil service itself. So I'm going to give a position of power within the civil service to my son and to my daughter-in-law, not because they're the best qualified and they deserve it. I'm going to do it because they're my son and my daughter-in-law. That's nepotism and that is a form of corruption. You also have, for example, intimidation or violence against anyone who reports cases of corruption. That in itself is an act of corruption. And what this does is it erodes trust in the system. 
It weakens democracy, and without doubt, it slows down economic development. Now, there's an organization called Transparency International, and what they do is they create every year a corruption perceptions index. So they actually rank all the countries in the world according to how corrupt they are perceived to be. So it's the most widely used global corruption ranking in the world. And more specifically, it measures how corrupt each country's public sector is perceived to be, according to experts and business people. So who do you think is at the top of this ranking? And by the top, I mean the least corrupt. Which countries are the most transparent? Where everybody is playing by the rules? Everything is open. Well, the top three, there are three countries that are equal first in this ranking, and they are Denmark, Finland, and New Zealand. Not surprisingly, they are all extremely rich, wealthy, successful countries, because clearly there is a correlation between your level of GDP and your level of corruption. Which countries do you think are at the very bottom of the table? Which countries are the most corrupt countries in the world? Where most, if not all, people in positions of public power are using it for themselves and their own private gain at the expense of the general population, causing a weakening of democracy and a slowing in economic development? Well, understandably, they tend to be poor, poorer countries, and, of course, they include North Korea. North Korea is 174th in the ranking of corruption. But there are actually four countries ranked below North Korea. Four countries that are considered more corrupt than North Korea. Can you guess what they are? Venezuela, Somalia... Syria, and South Sudan. So with North Korea, they make up the most corrupt countries in the world, according to Transparency International. So how corrupt is your country? Well, you can discover on the Transparency International website, just search for the Corruption Perceptions Index, and you can get a better idea of what kind of society you are living in. Okay, let's move on. Listen to this expression again. For many years, Kim Jong-un turned a blind eye to this behavior. His priority, as always, was the military sector. To turn a blind eye, this is simply to ignore something that you know is wrong. You pretend you are looking, but you make sure that you don't see. Management often turn a blind eye to bullying in the workplace. They know it's happening, but they don't want to have to deal with it. They want to pretend it's not happening. So in our story, Kim Jong-un knows that corruption exists, but he ignores it because he has other things to focus on, like building nuclear weapons.
But also he ignores it because the people who benefit from this corruption are the people that are closest to him, probably his family and his friends. Okay, let's continue. Then one night, without any warning, he arrested and executed a group of his closest economic advisors, including his uncle, a leading government official. The purge sent shockwaves through the country and created fear and paranoia amongst the elite who lived and worked in Pyongyang. P-U-R-G-E, purge, is to cause something unwanted to leave the body or to leave a system. It means to cleanse or to purify. So there are certain medicines that will purge the body of toxins. Now in this context, it means to remove people from a country, an organization, an institution, often in a violent and sudden way. It's as if they were somehow contaminating the political system. So Kim Jong-un and his regime have been able to instill fear within the country because it regularly carries out purges. In fact, they have purged over 400 officials since 2010. And by officials, we mean high-ranking government employees. And this has allowed Kim Jong-un to consolidate his power now, the key figures that were purged were either executed, sometimes publicly, or they were banished. They were sent into the wilderness. And the purge includes members of Kim's own family, such as his uncle, Jang Son Thaik, who was executed in 2013, and Kim's half-brother, Jong Nam. He was assassinated at an airport in Malaysia in 2017. And if you haven't heard about that assassination, look it up on the internet. It is unbelievable. It is like something straight out of a James Bond movie. Right, let's get back to the protagonist of our story, who is on his first date. Here we go. Her expression changed, as if she were in deep thought, weighing up the pros and cons of allowing Park into her family's life. To weigh up the pros and cons. To weigh up, that's a phrasal verb. Pros and cons, that's an expression. So this is to consider the good and bad aspects of doing something before you make your final decision. So for example, before you buy a car, you will weigh up the pros and cons. You will think about the advantages and disadvantages of buying this specific car. So what the chaperone is doing in this particular chapter is considering all the positive and the negative aspects of Park before making her decision to introduce her to the girl with the almond eyes. Here's another expression. But Park was lost for words. He had never been on a date before. He had no clue how to start a conversation with the woman. To be lost for words. Well, that's pretty self-explanatory, right? That means to be so shocked and so surprised 
or full of admiration, in this case, that you cannot speak. Park was lost for words when he looked at the girl with the almond eyes. We've all been there, haven't we? You want to say something, but the words just don't come? You're lost for words. Here's another one. Park looked into the eyes of every stranger he passed and grinned from ear to ear. Okay, to grin from ear to ear. Well, a smile is a happy or friendly expression on the face. Okay, we all know what a smile is. This is where the mouth curves up slightly, the lips move apart, and perhaps we see the teeth. That is a smile. A grin is a big smile. A grin is where you really do show your teeth. And if you grin from ear to ear, this is means that you are expressing the biggest smile that you possibly can. It is a manifestation of extreme happiness. And that is exactly how Park J. Bong feels as he makes his way home after the meeting with the girl with the almond eyes. To smile, to grin, to grin from ear to ear. And on that happy note, we come to the end of today's session. Remember, if you want to learn English in a more structured format, you can join Club Grattan for live and interactive classes with me. Just search Club Grattan on Google and you will find us. And we hope that you can join us for the next episode of The Adventures of Lola Badiola. In the meantime, keep practicing English and have a look at the Corruption Index by Transparency International so that you can discover what kind of society you are living in. <laughs>